Hello, and welcome to another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. My name is David Knapp. I'm the Associate Director of Merck and the host of this podcast. Today, we will be discussing work-based learning with partners from the Virginia Talent and Opportunity Partnership and State Council of Higher Education for Virginia. We will also be sharing findings from a recent literature review from the Institute of Collaborative Research and Evaluation at VCU focused on the implications of work-based learning for PK-12 school systems, institutions of higher education, and hosting organizations and employers. That report is available for public download on the Merck and Chev websites and is linked in the episode description. We're excited to talk about what work-based learning looks like nationally and in Virginia, and the potential benefits it can offer students across primary, secondary, and post-secondary education. Let me introduce everyone to you now. We have Alicia Basemore. Uh, she serves as the Assistant Director of Innovative Work-Based Learning Initiatives for the Virginia Talent and Opportunity Partnership, or VTOP, which we're going to be referring to throughout this conversation, also known as the Commonwealth's Innovative Internship Fund and Program at the State Council of Higher Education for Virginia, or SHEV. So when you hear SHEV, that's what we're talking about. Formerly, she was the Director of Career Services before serving as the Assistant Vice President of Operations at Norfolk State University. She has managed multiple multi-million dollar workforce training programs in Virginia and Maryland that has placed thousands of job seekers into employment. Alicia, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Ashley Crute serves as the Associate for Innovative Work-Based Learning Initiatives for VTOP and CHEV. Ashley was formerly the Director of Internships and MBA Career Services at Longwood University. She's an active member of the Virginia Association of Colleges and Employers, uh, or VACE, and continues to work to promote internships and work-based learning across the Commonwealth. Ashley, excited to have you here. I'm excited to join you. Um, and then finally, we have Amy Corning. Amy is a researcher with the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium and VCU's Institute for Collaborative Research and Evaluation, where she has been involved in research with schools, nonprofits, and state agencies. Her current projects include work on a developmental evaluation of VTOP, um, which supports work-based learning for students from PK-12 through post-secondary education, research that investigates equity of access and outcomes and inclusive STEM high school with a specialized curriculum and in partnership with the Virginia Department of Education, research on specialized high school computer science opportunities and experiences across the Commonwealth. Prior to joining Merck, Dr. Corning was engaged in survey-based research on collective memory at the Institute for Social Research at the University of Michigan. Um, Amy and I have worked together on several reports and Amy's been on this podcast a few times. Amy, it's always good to see you, but welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, David. I'm really happy to be here with you. Yeah. Um, and I should mention at the onset that um, I'm uh, so I'm hosting our conversation today, but I was also an author on this report. So I'll be sharing some findings um, as we go through this conversation today as well. And it was such a pleasure working on this. And I'm so energized about the work that VTOP's doing and the potential for work-based learning across for Virginia. So um, I'm really happy to be having this conversation today. Um, Alicia, what is VTOP? Just give us an overview of what this program is that we're going to be talking about today. Absolutely. Uh, again, thank you for having us here. We really appreciate this conversation that we're about to have, and it's an, an important conversation. And I get so lucky to be a part of this effort that's really going to impact the Commonwealth. Um, so VTOP is a partnership between the State Council of Higher Education of Virginia, or CHEV, um, and the Virginia Chamber Foundation, and the Virginia, just recently, the Virginia Business Higher Education Council. So in 2018, funding was appropriated to CHEV to incentivize public institutions in Virginia to create um, innovative paid internship opportunities for students to address uh, the issue of the talent migration that was happening in Virginia. Uh, the effort was, was expanded in 2019 and enacted into um, the Innovative Partnership Fund and Program Statute which was later rebranded in 2020 as the Virginia Talent Opportunity Partnership. Essentially, VTOP is a program that is aimed or focused on expanding paid and credit-bearing student internships and work-based learning opportunities in collaboration with Virginia employers. And is also here to help support and prepare students, employers, and higher education institutions to participate in internships and work-based learning opportunities. VTOP is very unique. I believe it's one of a kind in the state. Most states may focus on um, either students or employers, but we feel like it's a holistic approach um, in work-based learning. Um, so it's very important for us to um, focus our attention on 
supporting um, the students, employers, and higher education institutions. Well, I mean, speaking to that holistic approach, as we've been working on this literature review, Amy can attest, there's just, there's so much out there from like a, a, a employer or a hosting organization standpoint and the different institutions that are involved that uh, VTOP is definitely an ambitious project, but for sure a worthwhile one. And when you talk about, um, I think you said talent migration or worker migration, can you just explain what that is and how that's sort of a, one of the, the motivators for an initiative like VTOP? Yes. So Virginia discovered that we did a great job of recruiting students um, and training students as far as education um, is concerned. But the talent, but the talent was migrating to other areas. So we were losing our talent. Essentially, that we had a brain drain. Um, so we wanted to mitigate that. And one way to do that was providing opportunities for students um, here um, to explore opportunities, uh, careers or um, internship opportunities. So that we really wanted to distinguish ourselves as a place where students wanted to see themselves live, work and play. And so one opportunity in doing that was to create uh, resources that could help employers to expand um, internship opportunities. We feel like it was a great opportunity for students to um, explore um, what they potentially would like to do, um, both from K through 12 perspective and from a higher education perspective, and for them to just kind of test the water, you know, and then build these relationships with employers and essentially convert them into full-time employees. Gotcha. So we have talented students in Virginia. We'd like to keep them here <laughs> if it's possible. That makes a lot of Absolutely. sense. Um, well, Amy, so all this is really based around the idea of work-based learning, which we have learned through the research is, is a very complex term. There's all kinds of definitions associated with it. Can you give us an overview of what work-based learning means? Sure. It is complicated. And Work-based learning, I would say, has two meanings that are somewhat distinct, but often used in a kind of intertwined fashion. So on the one hand, it really refers to a particular type of educational approach that gives students opportunities for hands-on experiences in real-world workplace settings. So it's a kind of experiential learning that's tied to the workplaces and to authentic tools and tasks. And that uh, meaning of the term work-based learning is supported by learning theory, which um, has, which has, you know, kind of long supported the idea of experiential learning, suggesting that students really benefit when they have the chance to apply knowledge that they've gained in the classroom to concrete tasks in new situations, and then get the chance to reflect on those experiences. That's a process that makes learning more meaningful and increases the integration of new knowledge with prior knowledge. And those insights aren't new. They've been around you know, since the early 20th century, the work of people like Dewey and Piaget, but they've all received new attention in connection with work-based learning. And I think that those ideas have been really important to help people understand that work-based learning isn't just about a young person getting a job. It's an experience that really has to be structured in a way that connects the learning from the classroom to the students' interests and to the workplace and provides opportunities for reflection. So that's the first meaning of work-based learning. But the second meaning is uh, it, it refers to the types of experiences that expose students and other individuals to careers and jobs and helps them develop both general and specific workplace skills. So in that sense, it refers to all the different ways that young people can, uh, can gain that kind of exposure and experience. So most people think of internships when they hear the term work-based learning, but it's important to realize that there's an enormous range of different kinds of opportunities from brief experiences like career fairs or job shadowing, service learning to uh, you know, kind of relatively short-term experiences like internships, cooperative education, and so on. And then there are longer-term experiences like apprenticeships and on-the-job training. So there's really a, a whole range that's important to keep in mind. Right. And as we were writing about this, Amy, um, we really kind of made a, an intentional effort to, to refer to everything as work-based learning overall, like whenever it was possible to be more specific about things like internships or apprenticeships, whatever the research was saying, 
we would specify that, but generally we would use that term work-based learning. So it's definitely really helpful to have that kind of context and background. Um, Ashley, how does this concept that Amy shared and sort of the theory behind it of work-based learning align with the mission of VTOP? Yes, so very simplistically, the vision, the vision of VTOP is to um, facilitate the readiness of our employers, our institution, and our students to complete high quality paid internships. Of course, in this case, instead of just saying work-based learning, we do use internships. Um, but again, that's because we see that as a direct talent pipeline. Um, students with an internship experience are more likely to get a job in their field. Um, and the, the data shows they are more likely to get paid more than their peers that don't have an internship experience. Um, but how do we facilitate all of this and how does work-based learning um, align with our mission is in various facets. You know, if you focus just on our employers, we've created a set of modules that takes them through how to create an internship experience. How, what are the differences? Like Amy said, there are apprenticeships, micro internships, career shadowing, work-based learning experiences in K through 12. So what are those? So first we started with defining those terms for employers so that as they're building a work-based learning program, they can decide what definition fits them best. Are they hosting an intern? Are they hosting a micro internship? Are they building an apprenticeship program? And our modules take them through how to build that high quality practice. So it includes building in reflection, building in those skill sets, and then using those competencies that the students already come to them with in a new way. How do we, how do we ready the institutions? Uh, we like to serve as a resource. So whatever we can do to help our career services um, professionals and practitioners, we want to be there for them, whether it's modules, whether it's professional development, um, whether it is finding resources. We have now um, procured a couple different ways for institutions to expand their services. So we are working on modules. Um, in something called career champions. I think a lot of us can remember that we didn't always go to our career services folks. We might've gone to a coach, we might have gone to a professor. And so now we're equipping those career champions with all the tools they need to help guide somebody on the right direction as they're looking for that work-based learning experience. Even on the professional development side, if they are a member of an association or want to go to a presentation or a conference that will help then their center and their students, we provide that service as well. And then of course the biggest population, how do we help our students? So we also have a set of 100% free modules, one that focuses on the career competencies. So the National Association of Colleges and Employers defined competencies that each student should have to be successful. And those were developed with career practitioners, but also with employers. So these are the skills across the board that people wanna see. And so we walk those students through those competencies. And a lot of times they have them, they just don't know how to reflect on them or how to talk about them. So it's prepping them for that interview experience and then also hopefully prepping them as they're thinking of their work-based learning experience, what skills did they gain or what did they expand upon while they were there? And then of course we created the internship toolkit. So that would literally take a student from, I don't even know that I need an internship to finding that awesome high quality paid experience. So um, we hope that sort of through all of these things, um, we are continuing to help our three main populations, our employers, our institutes of higher ed, and our students find these amazing work-based learning experiences that then, of course, feed back into everything, the talent pipeline, the economy, I mean, you name it, and an internship or work-based learning experience captures that. Yeah, and as you've been describing that, Ashley, just it really strikes me that there's so many stakeholders involved in this. Like, I mean, you have PK-12, you have institutions of higher education, you have these employers, um, there's a lot of state interest around a program like this. I'm just curious about like, what do you see as the challenges and opportunities around that? Like how, I mean, about just the scope of trying to get the word out to that many stakeholder groups, I imagine is, is not easy, but maybe also worthwhile. Yes, I, I tried not to laugh out loud too hard. It, it can be challenging. Um, we are very fortunate. We created a regional approach to this. So we have nine regions. Um, and then we have a program coordinator in each region, because I think we all can agree 
there's tons of different stakeholders, but also each region of the state, whether it's the Southwest versus Hampton Roads versus Northern Virginia, they all are very unique and have different needs when it comes to work-based learning. So obviously in the Northern Virginia regions, there are a lot of tech internships, um, political internships. I mean, you name it, they have a different area of expertise compared to Hampton Roads, where a lot of times people think of um, healthcare, they think of shipbuilding, things like that. But then you look to sort of the other side of the state, and that's a great place to leverage our um, Center for Technical Education students, our community college system. I mean, you name it, everything looks different. So we're hopeful that through this regional approach, it helps spread the word because it's it's Alicia and I, um, and we, we are bringing on a few new team members, but essentially it's been us and these regions. And so we hope by having them, we hope by having partners, um, and we hope by even this literature review getting out there that it starts to spread the word and culminate. Um, a lot of folks call this an ecosystem, building that ecosystem around work-based learning. Yeah, it's helpful to understand some of those infrastructural elements of that, because I know that we, when we were writing our report, we looked to other states as examples pretty frequently, Amy. Um, and I just imagining if there's somebody from another state who's listening to this and just saying, like, how would I establish something kind of similar to VTOP? Establishing regions, it sounds like that's a, a really critical component to to making this this um, machine work. Um, and so let's get into some of the findings in the report, like you were just uh, sharing, Ashley. Um, one of the the key stakeholder groups that's associated with work based learning is PK twelve school systems. So in terms of access, it's largely dependent on how effectively staff are trained in the implementation of work based learning, especially when you consider things like um, the quality of mentoring relationships, like how do you actually provide guidance and supervision to students. PK-12 students that are going to be coming into your um, organization or your your um, your company? Um, and what does it mean to kind of like set up a nurturing environment for a work-based learning student? Um, also, the degree to which PK-12 school systems can establish partnerships with hosting organizations, which is really kind of a momentum game. So like getting those established at the onset, what are some of the steps that you need to take to be able to do that? Um, and then once those partnerships are established, then you can really build off of them in the future. Um, the breadth and consistency of communication about work-based learning, which is really speaking to what Ashley was talking about before. When you have all of these students that you're trying to reach, how do you effectively do that? Um, and so just making sure that you consistently get the word out there, especially to students who are often underrepresented in opportunities like these. And then, of course, the degree to which funding is available to support work-based learning. Um, and that includes like state subsidies that could go into programs like this, but also um, uh, funding from like school systems, tax incentives, things like that, um, or if there's there's funding available at the actual hosting organization level. In terms of the quality of work-based learning in PK-12 uh, school settings, it's often built on the quality of mentoring relationships, and that's not true just in PK-12 settings. It's also for institutions of higher education. So that showed up again and again in the research. The higher the quality of the, um, the mentoring relationship, the better the experience students had um, with the work-based learning opportunity. Um, also, the degree to which those experiences are connected with school curricula. So ideally, you wouldn't want work-based learning to be an entire departure from what students are learning and experiencing in school. You want there to be some sort of connection to, to what they're actually learning in the classroom. Um, one good example of that is we work with a program called Throwing Solar Shade Out of Secure Features, which is a solar panel um, company, and they they provide an educational enrichment program that's connected directly with the students' curriculum to help them learn how to use solar panels and measure solar energy and heat islands and that sort of thing. Um, also, you want to make sure that opportunities are available for hands-on real-world learning. So if students are going to participate in work-based learning, you would want to make sure that they're able to actually engage in some of the activities that are consistent with the careers that they're, they're essentially test driving through these opportunities. Um, there's several outcomes for students that are participating in work-based learning that are documented in research, including satisfying graduation requirements. That's true in Virginia. So you can satisfy diploma requirements in Virginia by participating in work-based learning. Um, you're able to develop skills that are needed by employers. Um, it improves college preparedness as well. So you can have some indication on your resume that you've already gotten a chance to get some real world experience with a career or a major that you're interested in, um, and potentially even some higher lifetime earnings by participating in work-based learning. So that showed up pretty consistently in the research as well. Um, so by participating in work-based learning opportunities in, in um, high school, you could potentially still, um, it's connected with having higher learning opportunity or uh, lifetime learning earning opportunities as well. Um, but PK-12 institutions themselves could benefit from participation in work-based learning. Um, so they're able to fulfill an in-demand need 
for the families that they serve. So families are increasingly wanting to make sure that their children have an opportunity to, to get some real world experience while they're um, in school. And so this is really showing that you're being responsive to the needs and, and uh, wishes of your families that you're serving. Um, it can foster mutually beneficial relationships with partnering organizations and employers and institutions of higher education in the community. Um, it's a way of expanding career and technical education or CTE course offerings through real world application. And I remember when I was a high school counselor with our CTE program, when our students had a chance to actually participate um, in an actual work site, there, there was just really clear benefit that they got from that. Um, and it can foster potential employment pipelines for graduates. In fact, some of our school divisions that we work with, they'll host a, um, a signing day for students who are going straight into the workforce, which I love. So like you see sign days for athletes and it's such a, a great moment for families that are you know, getting scholarships to go to college to be able to play a sport. But this is a way of celebrating, like this is a student who already got secure full-time employment going out. And so you see students with hard hats and things like that on stage getting celebrated, which is fantastic. Um, there's also challenges or barriers that are associated with work-based learning in pk 12 um, That includes um, access to reliable transportation. That's true in institutions of higher education too, but to and from the work site and making sure that students have that kind of transportation. Um, students in PK-12 are younger, and so kind of by extension, a lot of times they don't really have the skills developed yet that are required by employers, so there might be some adaptability that's required by employers just kind of at the onset. Um, there's also time constraints during the school day, so if it's possible to integrate work-based learning into the school day, that's ideal, um, but it's not always possible, so kind of navigating those time constraints is a challenge. And then there's liability concerns of having a, a, a somebody new onto the work site who's maybe a little bit younger and trying to navigate that. Um, and then, of course, there's equity implications related to work-based learning in PK-12, including that there's potentially a particular benefit for participation for low-income students, but they're also less likely to participate in work-based learning, um, particularly paid internship opportunities, um, that there's the opportunity for members of underrepresented um, racial minority groups to learn from somebody that's from their backgrounds in a work setting, so you get to kind of see yourself in a work setting um, uh, in the future as well. Um, there's also research showed that there's potential misconceptions by employers about participation in work-based learning by students with disabilities that might require some level of um, kind of pushing back against that as well. Um, so, um, so Alicia, considering what we just shared about PK-12 implications, how did these um, kind of resonate with the work of VTOP? Like, how do you think about some of those implications for PK-12 in the work that you're doing to expand work-based learning across Virginia? Well, one thing I would have to say that it's now we're starting to have a conversation and have common language. Um, before, you know, work-based learning, the description of work-based learning, um, it varies um, from institution to institution, organization, K through 12, and employers. Um, and what um, what aspect that VTOP has really done was bring a collective group together and these various organizations together, including K through 12 um, and higher ed institutions, as well as employers and policymakers around the table to convene conversations on how that looks and how these resources can help support um, students um, that are in K through 12, as well as in higher education. So first, now we're starting what we call regional, we're starting collaboration. Uh, we're starting communication, collaboration, common language. Um, and then we're taking what we know and what we do at our own organizations, and we're able to contribute to the conversation on how can we uh, work together on filling in some of the gaps and offering solutions to students um, in terms of getting them placed in internships or work-based learning opportunities. So I would have to say that was the first step that um, that VTOP has really done is really being able to convene, be a convener of um, bringing individuals together from different organizations and institutions to have the conversation, have common language, and to um, really assess what each organization can offer and how they can help to um, solve um, any type of challenges that students may have in terms of being placed in some level of work-based learning opportunities. But the other piece is that um, VTOP really began to listen and did an environmental scan about what's happening across the state. And, and by doing that, we determined, and as you mentioned, David, 
that offering mentorships um, for students uh, really helps them thrive. And then it also allows them to have a safe space to talk to individuals about their career goals, their career aspirations and so forth. Um, so to just kind of take a step back, I know uh, my previous experience um, as a career services director, we often went to um, different um, different high schools and different middle schools to kind of talk about career planning and career development. And then when you talk about that access um, and some of the common language that most of the students talked about is that they wanted to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an athlete, you know, or an entertainer. So those were like common, you know, um, professions that many of the students talked about. And so that to me, that showed that there was maybe limited exposure and awareness of diverse industries that are in our state and across the country, right? And so being able to bring employers to those institutions or, or to, excuse me, to high schools to talk to students about different um, opportunities that are available in their immediate area, having conversations or offering um, um, problems for students to solve um, in a classroom situation where they can possibly feel like they have contributed to that organization or contributed to their company or even contributed to their community, right? Um, so those opportunities have presented themselves and how that has been done is as um, as Ashley mentioned regarding our regional collaboratives is that we've been able to um, use the regional collaboratives to help convene um, these conversations and to help connect these employers with the high school students and with the high schools. Uh, so I'll take, for instance, um, at um, Region 5, the Hampton Roves area, they had an internship summit where they invited high school students uh, as well as um, K through, excuse me, as well as um, um, colleges and universities in that respective region. And there was just as many high school students at that internship summit as there were um, um, any um, uh, college students. And so that was really pleasing to see uh, the investment that K through 12 really um, has in ensuring that students are exposed to different career opportunities and exposed to um, sessions and workshops that can help build some of their soft skills, uh, because that's an important piece for students to begin to develop. And, and, and I, if I have to point out this with VTOP, um, one of the areas that Ashley did um, mention as well is that our modules, our modules. Um, so our framework has really been focused on the National Association of Colleges and Employers, the career competencies modules. Um, so our career competencies, uh, career competencies are really the driver of what the work that we're doing and how we're sharing um, um, some of the resources uh, with both high school and both um, through um, institutions. And so because we use that as the framework and we understand that skills um, are important factors that employers are looking for, um, so our high school students can actually use our modules. We've had many of them use the modules to learn about the different career competencies um, and to actually reflect on those career competencies and give them a leg or a leg up onto when they actually physically start to participate in an internship opportunity, they have some level of understanding what those competencies are and how they can articulate those competencies to employers as they begin to work in the workplace. So um, overall, I would have to say that um, that um, that um, VTOP has really been a convener of um, providing resources, offering solutions um, um, to challenges and gaps in terms of access and awareness. Um, and so I would say that, the, that this um, effort has really been a collective effort um, and, 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 it, and it's not a linear process. It really takes a whole entire, and I, and I go back to the process of being holistic and doing that is really, it takes all of us collectively to work together in order to reach that outcome. And so I would have to say that a lot of the implications that you mentioned before, um, it, it, it exists in one area that um, VTOP is really trying to do is trying to close or minimize those gaps. 
And it really speaks to the importance of trying to um, provide these opportunities to students when they're younger as well. And uh, Alicia, I really want to kind of commend you because when we were kind of figuring out the scope of this this literature review, this report that we were doing, we were wondering, like, should we just focus on institutions of higher education? Should we also pull in K-12? And you um, you made sure to emphasize that it makes sense for us to also focus on K-12 just because of the um, just because of the very clear implications for those students and for those institutions. Um, but there's also clear implications for institutions of higher education. Amy, do you want to give us kind of a summary of what we found in the research related to that? Sure. I can talk a little bit about the kinds of opportunities and maybe some of the challenges that are facing um, institutions of higher education and, and students in post-secondary education. There are all kinds of opportunities for work-based learning at the college level, and just as is the case for PK through 12, they are designed to help students gain kind of hands-on experience. They are tailored for students who are a little bit closer to entering the workforce and starting their careers. So they're really often designed to help students acquire skills in specific industries or fields that they think they might be interested in, and also develop some professional networks that can help them to increase potential job opportunities after graduation. And in some cases, students have completed internships at a company or an organization and then later gotten a job with that same organization, which mm -hmm. is wonderful when it all works out well. Colleges and universities are undertaking um, several different initiatives that have um, influence the kinds of opportunities that, that students have. And one main one that I want to mention is the transformation of federal work study opportunities mm. so that those kind of on-campus jobs that students have can do a better job of helping students to try out work in a field that may be of interest to them or provide them with meaningful work that's related to their major. So that's an important initiative. The other thing I'll mention of course, when we're talking about higher education, we are often talking about internships. And just as work and education have moved online, generally many internships are now offered as e-internships so that mm -hmm. students can participate in them remotely. And I'll come back to that a little later. One pretty recent development is that internships have received attention as one of a set of high impact practices that have been associated with greater student engagement in the school experience and increased learning. And I think that has motivated a lot of schools to enhance their support for work-based learning and internships in particular in a variety of ways. And some of what schools are doing are kind of reinforcing from the other side, the efforts that Ashley and Alicia have been describing. So schools are working to help prepare students by developing kind of workplace appropriate skills, sometimes referred to as soft skills, that are important for the student to have a successful and meaningful work-based learning experience. Sometimes schools are helping to monitor the quality of the internships. Internships are not always of high quality, and schools can sometimes step in to support the student, um, and, uh, and that's an important role that I think is, is fairly new that they're playing. They're also helping students to identify the kinds of skills that they're gaining through workplace uh, work based learning experience so that those skills can then be reflected on the student's resume and they're helping to guide students reflect on and reflecting on the experience and just figuring out what their next career steps will be, whether that's pursuing another internship in a different field, tapping into an alumni network for, you know, building, building their network in the same field, um, you know, as I said, presenting the skills they've acquired on a resume or applying for a job. And then last but not least, some schools are able to provide financial support to students to help defray some of the travel costs that may be associated with internship participation or even to allow them to take on an unpaid internship. I don't want to paint too rosy a picture. I really want to emphasize that the institutions of higher education that are able to do all this are the ones that are on a solid financial footing that have all of the resources and staff required, which is a lot. 
Schools with fewer resources, and that includes many community colleges, aren't able to provide the same level of support. So there are real equity concerns just stemming from the type of institution a student attends, which is going to impact the, the range of opportunities for work-based learning that they have available. And then at the student level, there are further inequities in access to work-based learning opportunities. So internships and other opportunities are much more widely available for students who are majoring in STEM and business compared to other fields, especially the humanities. Mm -hmm. There are barriers to participation in work-based learning, some of which we've talked about here already. But I'll just mention a, a few other ones. There's, you know, having a family and family responsibilities can prevent students from participating in an internship. Students who are already are working at a full-time job and uh, pursuing their education in the evening, um, internships may not be an opportunity for them. Being in a rural or remote location can make it hard, you know, to just the number of internships in those places um, is fewer. And then of course, Ashley mentioned the issues of transportation resources, you know, to, uh, to travel for an internship or to take on an unpaid internship. So first-generation students and students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds may also not have the family connections and networks. And those are still a really important avenue through which students obtain internships. Some of those characteristics are associated with race and ethnicity. So there are really serious equity concerns related to access and participation in work-based learning by students who are racially and ethnically minoritized. And finally, not all employers are well prepared to provide a welcoming and supportive environment for a diverse group of students. So there's education that needs to happen on the employer side as well. And then just finally, the issue of online internships is a really interesting one because it, on the one hand, is a way of increasing access. It allows a student you know, who's living anywhere to participate in, uh, in an internship. But at the same time, the online format makes it much harder for students to feel like they belong to the workplace, makes it harder for them to establish contacts with employees at the host organization. So I guess I'll just conclude by saying that no matter what the internship format is, to be successful for the student, it really has to be intentionally designed with the student's learning and development in mind. Mm -hmm. So I think there's been just enormous uh, flourishing of work-based learning and a great deal of support from the higher institutions higher education institution side, but at the same time, there are really important challenges that need to be navigated. Right. Yeah. So we might kind of instinctively think that internships are more readily available at, in institutions of higher education than maybe they are in PK-12, for example, but it sounds like there's plenty of complexity and maybe just that um, access is not always equitable in those institutions. Um, and just to kind of, yeah, and to kind of connect, um, one of the things that you said, like federal work study, we, we've had work study students supporting the work that we do as researchers with Merck for, for years now. And it's it's such a fantastic program. And we we really, really enjoy that, that aspect. We learn so much from our work study students as well. So being able to leverage some of those existing systems, I think is really important. Um, Ashley, how do these implications for work-based learning in institutions of higher education that Amy shared, how do those resonate with the work of VTOP? Um, I mean, it, it is our work. Uh, she, Amy summed up our work. Um, you know, it runs the gamut. These internship experiences, um, equity and access are always at the forefront of our mind because you're right. There are institutions that have everything. They can provide supplemental funding for those um, low income or no paid internship experiences. Um, they are in a metropolitan area. So there is a plethora of employers you know, maybe their school or institution is famous for STEM or business. And so, of course, their program is sought after and employers are, and alums are coming to them and wanting their students. Um, but then what do we do about everybody else? What do we do about 
um, this, the institutions that don't have a ton of resources or are in more rural locations or their students, you're right, are first gen, are minority, are low income. I mean, you name it. And so every day, that is what we're trying to do. We are trying to bridge the gaps. We're trying to fill the gaps. Um, I don't think there is, again, even back to the regions, there is no perfect answer for each region of the state. And I don't think there's a perfect answer for each institution. But I think the models and the services that we're providing put together the pieces and you can make your own puzzle. Um, you know, you talked about transforming federal work study. You all have had federal work study students. You know, think about exactly what they were doing. That's an internship. So let's call it that. Let's not call it their federal work study position. Let's call it their internship. Um, or what happens with that federal work study student that we've had them as a freshman. We've been able to build their skill set. We're an institution in a rural location or they're a student that is bound to us, whether it's because of funding, whether it's because of transportation, you name it. So let's build an internship experience for them. And I think, you know, us being able to provide the grant funding for institutions to decide this program is perfect for us to scale up or implement this model, um, providing these modules. Again, we like to, we're both from career services, Alicia and I. And so we know that centers are vastly different. There are fully staffed folks down to one person shops. And so those internship modules that we've created or been able to create help supplement the daily work that they're doing. Um, we this summer and this past spring saw these modules flourish because institutions started to put them into their pre-internship courses. So why reinvent the wheel? We've set the foundation so you can take it and talk and have reflection with your students. So again, it, it trickles down. And then even with the employers, I mean, some of them get it and some of them are so excited. And then some of them just don't even know what questions to ask. And so I think those, the modules that are, are geared towards them, you know, they leave those modules and they're like, oh, I didn't realize that like maybe my dress code is what's turning somebody off or maybe I am um, not on a bus line. And so what are some things that we can do to change those barriers? Is it upping the pay? Is it providing a stipend? Um, we also recently procured a staffing agency. So again, those internship opportunities that may not exist can now exist in our small to mid-sized employers because if they complete a certain number of modules, they now can use iQuasar, our staffing agency, and learn what that process looks like to not only build the internship, but go through the hiring process and actually manage a student with live support. That's what the agency is there for. Um, and then we're just so fortunate also to add on to that and be able to provide matching funds to small businesses. So again, trying to alleviate that, that barrier, especially the pay barrier. I mean, look, if I in this role could wave a magic wand, every internship would be high quality would meet the academic requirements for our students to gain academic credit towards graduation, would help them fulfill whatever dream they have in mind, because I think we all remember those internship experiences that were amazing, and those internship experiences that were okay, but helped shape the, I'm not going to do that from here on out. And then I think my biggest one, and, and maybe one day I'll win the lottery, but if, if every experience could be paid, that is such a barrier that I feel like in this day and age, it's a no-brainer. Pay them and they will come and they will give you the best experience that you've ever had, both as the supervisor or mentor, but for the student too, because these, I mean, work-based learning is just, it, it transforms lives for sure. Right. And that really speaks to what Amy was sharing about one of the barriers that students experience if they, if, especially if they're from lower income backgrounds or first generation and they have to work in the evenings, for example, then if it's a paid internship, then they're not losing money by participating in the internship. So that makes a lot of sense. It seems like college is really intended for this time to like accumulate experiences and credentialing and social capital and, and work-based learning and high quality internships are such a good way of doing that. Um, but Ashley, as you've been talking about that, everything that you're sharing, there's really very clear parallels for what um, actual hosting organizations and employers need to do to be able to provide high quality work-based learning um, opportunities for their students and experiences. And so I'm just gonna share a quick summary of some of the, the high points of what we found in the research related to that, because work-based learning wouldn't be possible without hosting organizations. And I know VTOP really does a lot to try to broker some of those, those kind of connections. Um, so access to work-based learning for hosting organizations, it could be impacted 
by um, liability concerns. And we talked about that before with PK-12 research, just like there might be concerns on the, the hosting organization or employer side about what are the potential liability implications of having students on our work site? Like how do we kind of adapt to that? What are some of the things we need to do? And there's some things that could be done at the state level, um, like tax incentives or just kind of looking at a kind of liability laws to, just to kind of remove that as a potential barrier for, for employers who might be interested in this. Um, lack of infrastructural capacity. So you have to have staffing that's actually going to be able to support mentorship and supervision for work-based learning. Um, I, I know that uh, like I've, I've had students in the past that have been interested in doing an internship somewhere, but they uh, got connected with an organization that just hadn't started something like that yet, that hadn't really considered it. And so having the actual infrastructure in place is really beneficial. Um, there could be costs associated with providing paid internship opportunities, like Ashley was saying. So being able to actually allocate some funding towards paying your interns who are gonna be participating if it's at all possible. Um, if there's availability of tax incentives at the state level, that could be something that could really benefit um, uh, employers and hosting organizations and therefore end up expanding access to work-based learning across the state. Um, and in terms of the quality of work-based learning and hosting organizations, again, it's affected by the mentoring relationships, like how, how well-trained is your staff to provide high-quality mentoring relationships, which research really showed could be a way of kind of enhancing or edifying your job experience, too. Like, you get that kind of extra satisfaction of providing mentoring to a student, so it could really enhance the work that you're doing. So, so much of it really centers around the mentoring piece. Um, and then the ability of those hosting organizations to collaborate with institutions of higher education and PK-12 school systems, establishing those partnerships, kind of being able to speak the language and cross boundaries that way, um, and really being able to collaborate in, in those ways and establishing those kinds of connections. Um, having clear expectations set at the work site, um, and that's for, for students at all kind of developmental levels, just understanding kind of the developmental needs and, and where these students are and making sure that you're communicating expectations in a way that's really clear. Um, and then uh, making sure that you have attention given to the design of the internship experience. And Amy alluded to like online internship experiences, um, not always being of the same quality as some of these in-person internship experience. So making sure that if you're hosting a, um, a work-based learning student, whether it's online or in person, but making sure that there's consistency of quality across those different modalities um, that you're going to be able to, to have them on site with you. Um, there's very clear benefits for hosting organizations who are working with work-based learning. Um, you could identify early career talent and even establish a potential employment pipeline for students who are going to be participating through these curricular and extracurricular opportunities or internships. Um, so you could you could train your next workforce in a really cost-effective way, um, feeling a sense of reward through the provision of that quality mentoring that students receive. Um, so your employees who are providing mentoring might feel that sense of satisfaction um, through that. Um, bringing new ideas to the organization. Um, so bringing some like kind of uh, like a new generation of perspective of new ways to do it, maybe bringing in new technologies that these students use that we weren't using before, um, things like that. I know our work-based learning students or our federal work-study students are bringing in new ideas to our teams all the time. Um, it could help to establish a diverse applicant pool uh, and it could help to build and strengthen networks within your community. So by offering these work-based learning, it can strengthen your connections that maybe already exist between institutions of higher education and K-12 organizations. Um, but there's also some very clear equity considerations. Really, these parallel what we've talked about with PK-12 and with institutions of higher education. Um, so there's lower likelihood that low-income students are going to participate in internships, especially paid internships, which is particularly counterintuitive. So we want to make sure that our low-income students um, are uh, have clear communication about the availability of these internship opportunities and work-based learning opportunities and that they're paid as much as possible. Um, the importance of compensation really is, is pretty key to, to having an equitable um, work-based learning opportunity for students. Um, could be over-reliance on recruitments, uh, of recruitment in institutions that lack diversity. And this is really speaking to what Amy was sharing earlier, that there could be robust work-based learning programs in some of these kind of quote-unquote more prestigious institutions. Um, so being able to making sure that you're really intentionally partnering with institutions that haven't always traditionally participated in work-based learning to really kind of spread the word and, and onboard more students. Um, there could be potential for unconscious biases and hiring practices. Um, we talked about that earlier with potential biases towards students with disabilities, for example. Um, and again, there could be potential inconsistent quality of uh, remote work-based learning um, experiences. So making sure that there's consistency regardless of how students are participating in internships, for example. Um, so 
Alicia, considering some of these implications at the, the hosting organization side, I know that you're interacting with these kinds of organizations all the time at VTOP. How does this kind of resonate with your work? Well, first, I kind of just want to go back and highlight the importance of, I know we talked about quality internships um, and, you know, mentorships and so forth. Um, so just to kind of back a little bit, back back up a little bit from some of the points that Ashley made in terms of our staffing agency. Uh, so we, we looked at hiring a statewide staff or procuring a statewide staffing agency as a way to kind of solve two problems. One, uh, to help, you know, help employers that are small businesses who may want to host an internship or intern or uh, facilitate an internship program, but may not necessarily have the resources to facilitate the in, uh, an internship program. And so we wanted to remove that barrier for them. We wanted to have a staffing agency that can help them develop a job description and help a job help them develop a job description that can be inclusive um, and help them to post that job description where an employer may have some affiliation or some knowledge about one institution that may be in their immediate area, but helping them to broaden their scope to maybe think about posting those opportunities with other institutions across the state. So that now we can close the gap of just being exclusive to maybe one of the heavily resourced institutions to now we can broaden it to even some of the um, smaller institutions or even um, community colleges and K through 12. Um, and then the other piece is that we wanted to help them, support them in terms of you now helping them to pay the students um, in terms of offering the matching funds. And then also if that employer um, has resources to offer students to help them with housing assistance, any type of transportation or clothing or uniform um, voucher. Uh, this, this, uh, the, the resources that we offer through the matching funds will help support that particular company with doing that. Uh, and the other piece of, with the staffing agency is that it's helping to expand um, opportunities to connect employers with students. Um, so it's helping them to place students in um, opportunities that, that, you know, typically if a small business business did not have a human resource personnel or staff um, person that can help onboard that particular student, the staffing agency offered that service. Um, so I, I would say that that's one gap. And again, going back to the fact that VTOP is here to understand what's the what's the challenges and how do we help close those gaps. Um, so that was one aspect with the staffing agency. And then when you talk about um, bringing uh, together a, a host of individuals to close the gap of um, any equity issues. That's where we talk about our regional collaboratives again. Our regional collaboratives, um, one of their efforts is for them to make sure that they are meeting and connecting with um, economic development. They're connecting with our region, the regional chamber. They're connecting with the um, institutions and the K through 12. They're bringing them together around the table to have conversations about what are the gaps, what are the challenges, what are the wins that are happening within our area and how can we close any of those gaps. So that is one piece um, that I would say um, that really resonates with us is that our regional collaboratives are able to bring together these stakeholders, uh, again, to have this uh, robust conversation to close the gaps to make sure that we're helping to support our students and our, our next workforce. Um, so we're really being disruptive in that process. And, and being disruptive in that process is really kind of breaking those barriers and those conversations. Having regional events um, that are inclusive of all of those institutions, including K through 12 and also higher education um, um, colleges and universities. Many institutions have worked in silos because we're all competing, or many of the institutions are all competing to try to get the employer to come to their institution to recruit their student. Now what's happening is that we're trying to break the silo and be very inclusive in terms of we all can um, work with um, a particular em employer. And then again, educating employers on, on um, we have diverse talent across many of our institutions. So it's important for you to tap into all of those institutions 
again, we really try to close that gap by having that conversation um, and really thinking about that common language. Um, how can we really help um, scale some of the uh, offerings that are that's happening here and how do we retain the talent here? And I would say that our regions are our first step in terms of making that connection from uh, a student in a, in, in a higher education institution or K through 12, because research has shown that um, a, a student will feel more invested in a community if they uh, feel that they have a sense of belonging in that community. And one way of doing that is by offering um, um, employers, offering students an opportunity to, you know, solve wicked problems at their um, company or organization, right? And then they can see themselves in possibly impacting their community and possibly see, see themselves working at that organization or, or company. And by doing that, and that's what the regional collaboratives are doing. They're really convening those opportunities uh, to happen. So it resonates a lot uh, in terms of the work that we're doing. And I also finally just want to talk about the fact that I know we've talked about skills um, and maybe like um, in some regions, the market focuses on maybe um, technology, um, healthcare or STEM related fields. And then um, I, I know Amy has talked about, you know, the liberal arts and how that's an untapped area, but really starting to educate and the work that we do is really inclusive of all majors. Um, and, and that's what we really are focusing on is really skills and how these skills really can, you know, really apply into any um, workplace. And then how really focusing on the future of work and the future of work is really about having a multidisciplinary approach to how we're working. So when we're thinking about, you know, technology and um, STEM um, related fields, we also want to be inclusive of those um, students that are in um, the social science or, or liberal arts programs, because as we close the gap of maybe thinking about um, technology um, and how they may think about technology in a linear perspective, however, your liberal arts students may think about uncertain um, situations in a more abstract way, and then how we can actually um, fill those gaps in that way. And then also liberal arts can bring in some uh, level of ethics in that place. And so where technology may not focus so much on ethics, they're focusing on what's right and what's wrong. Does it work or does it not work? You know, how do we make something faster, quicker, easier? Um, you know, where, and that's where our liberal arts, and you know, can actually step in and just kind of think about um, how is this working for the end user, you know, for those students that may have uh, a disability or for those students um, who need a little bit more guidance and so forth. So, um, and how are we ethically um, for, uh, facilitating practices uh, that was inclusive of all? And so I would say that VTOP's work is really focused on, you know, skills development and, and educating employers um, and bringing those employers together with the institutions and of course, naturally with the students. And barrier reduction, which is something that's come up throughout our conversation today, for sure. Absolutely. It seems like it seems like so much of work-based learning is about or facilitating these kinds of connections is just about understanding the needs of these different entities and stakeholders that are involved in being able to meet them and reducing any kind of obstacles that they might be facing along the way. Um, so just as some concluding thoughts for everyone, what do you see as the work, future of work-based learning in Virginia? Well, for me, I just kind of want to just... And I know, I know I just talked, but I, just really thinking about the future of work and how AI is really, you know, eliminating several jobs. Uh, but it's also um, given us an opportunity to rethink that it will create additional jobs, right? And so um, just going back to the fact of really thinking about everything from a multidisciplinary approach and how skills um, development is really important and crucial to the success of a student um, and getting uh, employers to, you know, kind of see beyond just maybe from a linear approach in terms of just industry and have an industry sector um, uh, regions and more of a, a region, a regional and a statewide approach that really hones in on talent in terms of the skills. 
um, and, and, and allowing those skills to really flourish in a way where it's in maybe some of the untraditional or non-traditional uh, work environments, such as your tech fields and so forth, and really um, um, thinking about how filling those gaps where it's important to be inclusive of uh, various majors. Um, you may need a communications person. You know, we never knew that. We never thought that influencer would be an actual job, right? A new career, right? So rethinking how we think about what our workforce would look like. And so I really think uh, that the future of Virginia is focused on really highlighting the importance of um, ensuring that our students get the skills that they need, getting the exposure to these opportunities, whether it's a small business or our big box um, um, organizations, because we feel like even at the small business perspective, they can offer that one-on-one -on -one mentorship and training to those students and have a, a, a little bit more engagement than some of the large organizations, although they have robust programs. But it's also important to understand that, you know, the small businesses are very impactful. And students often love to work in startups, right? And so um, it's important for us to help be able, help to facilitate those opportunities for those startups, because ultimately, a lot of them want to start their own business as well. So what great way for them to have that exposure um, is working in those fields. So really, you know, focus Focusing on, you know, not only just the high demand um, fields, but also focusing on fields that are untapped and us being able to fill those gaps in that area. I think to Alicia's point, like it, this is a systems change. Um, this is getting people out of their comfort zone. But I think we're at a great crossroads in that people know we need this. I think we all knew we needed it, but I think it's it's becoming more and more of not the I don't want to say the new buzzword because I don't think it's ever going to go out of trend. Um, but I think this is something that everybody realizes is so essential now to a college experience, mm -hmm. so essential to a CTE or a work-based learning or a skills-based education that I think we are at a great crossroads to make this systems change so that again all of our stakeholders understand what work-based learning is, understand the different ways that they can affect work-based learning, and then providing these great opportunities for the next generation of talent in our state. And I would say, I agree with all of that, Ashley, and also what Alicia was saying, that the, the thing that I think is really exciting is that as the nature of work is evolving and absorbing all these technological changes and the advent of AI, it's really crucial for educators and workforce training professionals to kind of have their ear to the ground in order to know, be able to anticipate what the skills are that students are going to need, what new types of jobs are being created, and the kinds of partnerships between industry and educational institutions that are exactly what VTOP is all about, I think are such an important part of this new landscape to make sure that students have equitable pathways to the skills and jobs that they're going to need. And um, it's it's so great to hear more about what VTOP is doing to facilitate those kinds of pathways. Um, and I'll just share from a from a higher ed um, perspective. I know what we've been talking about a lot at VCU lately is that college needs to be more about more than just credentialing, right? So like you need to be able to come out of college with more than just a degree or a piece of paper saying that you can do something. It's really about trying to accumulate those kinds of experiences that really prepare you for the workforce that you're going to be entering into. And work-based learning is just such a fantastic opportunity for being able to do that. And it's really serendipitous that we've been working on this report because at the same time, we've been trying to integrate more of this into our own work and bringing on federal work study students and having these kind of vertically integrated projects that give our students really that kind of real world experience with research, for example. So the time, it couldn't have been any more perfect. And we're so grateful for this, this partnership and getting to learn more about the work that you're doing and, and to, to promote it across the state. Um, and we're going to need to leave that there for now. But if you would like to read this report and learn more about work-based learning, you can find it linked on the episode description and on the Merck website at merck.soe.vcu.edu reports. 
as well as the Chev website at chev.edu by clicking on reports and publications. If you would like to stay up to date on Merck research resources and professional learning opportunities, you can sign up for our listserv on our homepage. You can also subscribe and listen to other episodes of Abstract wherever you get your podcasts, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Our thanks as always to the VCU School of Education for supporting the work that we do at Merck and to all of our partner school divisions, Chesterfield, Goochland, Hanover, Henrico, and Richmond Public Schools. Many thanks to Ashley and Alicia from VTOP and Chev and to Amy from Merck and VCU uh, Institute for Collaborative Research and Evaluation for this conversation about work-based learning and for your work on expanding these opportunities through students throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. And of course, thanks as always to you at home for joining us. We hope that you will share this episode with anyone who is interested in promoting real-world learning opportunities for students in PK-12 and college. This has been another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. Let's talk again soon.